Here we go. My name is Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. Zen Parenting Radio, do you want to know what it is, sweetie? I do. It is episode number 146, and it's a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom, that's you, and a logical and practical dad, that's me. We have three daughters, ages 6, 8, and 10, and our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. And I'm going to share my favorite quote, too. Let's hear it. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. That's true. That's what. That's the foundation of our show. Yeah, I don't think that you can um, really feel clear and confident about your parenting unless you feel clear about who you are. It doesn't mean you're a perfect person. No. It just means that you have to be conscious of why you do things and how you handle things. And how it affects your children and all that good stuff. And how you affect the world. But I digress. Yeah. Michael Myers. He walked slow. (laughs) He sure did. He sure got a lot done for walking slow. Can I say something about Michael Myers? Sure. So my girlfriend has um, a Michael Myers, like a huge life-size Michael Myers in her house. Oh, yeah. And she keeps sending me pictures of him doing funny things like eating eating pretzels. pretzels. (laughs) And cleaning the garage. (laughs) And just standing on the balcony looking at the sunset. And the reason why it's so funny... Are you saying Michael Myers was one with nature? uh, Well, maybe he wanted to be and things happened where he couldn't be. Bad parenting. And who knows? And anyway, so... He, she keeps sending me these pictures and it's very healing because I was very frightened of Michael Myers as a child. And now he's a good guy. Now he eats pretzels. That's right. Who he's, doesn't? He's thirsty then too. I wonder probably. if Jason Voorhees eats pretzels. You know, he wasn't even real. He was, he was dead. It was the mom. You love saying that. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to talk about the mom. Oh. You always think I'm going to go there. I'm just saying that I guess Michael Myers was also dead think? after the first one. You think? They were they were zombies, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, here we go. So we're talking about fear. That's why I play it. And Halloween's coming up. Yes. So I'm going to play some random clips of fear. Are you going to tell us before you play them? No, no. I'm not going to tell you. So let's jump into it. You made me... Uh, watch a video this morning. Well, you said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, there's something really cool that I think we could talk so, about. So I don't know if you look at your sheet that I made up. But, oh, I didn't. I um, have my own sheet. There's a woman by the name of Tara. It's Sof- Tara. Oh, how do you know? Because I saw her in person. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh. She was at the conference I was I at. guess you do know. Yes. Little little do I know that you knew. <laughs> it's Tara Sophia Moore. All right. And she has a little video that we'll post on this um, on the show notes. ZPR slash ZenParentingRadio.com slash 146. Um, but uh, I don't know the name of it. Do you remember the name of it? Of what? Of her blog thing. Wise um, Living. Wise Living, yeah. Okay. Wise Living. So she talks about two different types of fear. Uh-huh. I'm going to start talking about it, but then I'm going to let you talk about most of it. Sure. Because you saw her speak. Right. Um, and it comes from the Jewish tradition. Yep, the Hebrew. God bless those Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, pahad? Is that how you pronounce it's it? It's Pahad. You have to put the... Pahad. Pahad. And what I put down, it's projected or imagined fear. Yes. And just to give credit where credit is due, because Tara does, um, this comes from uh, Rabbi Alan Liu, who I think has since passed away. But he explains that these things that you're about to tell us about come from the Old Testament, and they are the way that fear is described in the Bible. You want to hear me say it? You want to break me down? I'm afraid. Mm. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid. Rocky. Which one? Um, three. That's right. Very good. It's on the beach when yeah, he talks I, to Adrian. Exactly. Because you know why? Because mm. he's got something to lose. He's got some pahad See, going he's on. He's got some pahad because in number one and two, he didn't really have anything to lose. Especially in one. In three, 
Adrian has fur coats. Mm-hmm. He sure does. And he's he's starting to look a little cleaner and a little more. He's doing a lot of montages to So this is the Eye normal. The so Pahad is like the normal fear that we're used to talking about. I don't even it, well, it's the it, it's the reptilian fear. Mm-hmm. It's that irrational fear. It's the fight or flight kind of animalistic fear. Right. So yes, it's probably the fear that we most think of, but it's also it, you know, when you say it's what did you just say? You said it was the uh, projected or imagined fear or the fear whose objects are imagined. So it's like when you create a s- situation in your head that you what think is going to happen. Go wrong what at could some point go wrong in the future. Right, exactly. And the which truth, a lot of us do. Which I feel like that's very, um, it's common and it stifles us. Mm-hmm. And and just to backtrack a little bit, Tara Sophia Moore, what she talks about, what she writes about in her blog, and again, we'll post her information so you can follow her, is a, she calls it wise living, but she also talks about playing big Mm -hmm. because speaking i'll speak of of women specifically but i think men do it too women tend to play small right they don't inhabit their space they think that they need to shrink um and allow other people to grow and that they need to not become fully who they are and again a lot of women would say well no that's not true but you may not think it's true but it's your actions that's what you do you play small Mm -hmm. and i think we all do in in many ways do you think men play small too I think men have a, ten, a a greater tendency to play bigger. They yeah. have, uh, I mean, of course, men have plenty of fear, but, you know, just watching um, soccer games, fifth grade soccer games, totally. boys and girls, and the girls are always quick to make sure they're not hurting anybody and being cordial within the confines of the team sport. And the boys are fearless. And I know people are going to get mad at me saying, oh, no, my girl plays tough. I'm, I'm sure that they're are a million girls that play tough. I'm not, I don't mean to say that. But even within the toughness, there's restraint. Yeah. There's like a sense of, I kicked you, Mm -hmm. you know, sorry, I'll help you up, which is great. Right. But even when they get a goal, there's a smile, a few high fives. Exactly. But when the boys score a goal. Wow. Yeah. yeah, Like there's no restraint. And I was telling Todd, Todd sees it all the time because he's, you know, been in boy sports his whole life. But I was walking away from my daughter's soccer game and, you know, there's usually like three or four soccer games going on. And I walked by a about a fourth or fifth grade boy soccer game and watched a boy get a goal and that's exactly what happened he threw his hands up in the air and have i i've been coaching girls soccer forever and yeah. i've yet to see a girl just go crazy in celebration Never. because what would their parents say to them don't be a showboat don't be a showboat be humble mm-hmm. be have humility and the thing is is you can be and i'm going to use this language because it'll freak people out full of yourself and still be have humility. Right. Just because you are full of who you are right. doesn't mean you don't recognize that other people right. are full and have goodness to share as well. Now, I'm not saying go out and tell your children to that just screaming when you get a goal makes them full. Right. But it kind of gives us a good visual representation of how we teach genders differently. Right. No, no there's no doubt about it. And uh, I'm fascinated by it. Me too. Because I want these girls to be more like boys, which is weird. And I need these boys to be more like girls. Yes. Oh, and by the way, just so you know, yeah. Tournament of Bad, I have one. Okay. Okay. All right. That All sounds right. good. Okay. We're not going to do it Tournament of Bad. Terminant of bad. Terminant of bad. No, I'll, I'll wait till the end, but I have one. Um, do you want to play this girl's clip? Is it too early? Well, finish, I, yeah, finish I, explaining the two types of fear. Well, and so we then got the other hot. type of fear is called Yira. Y-I-R-A-H. And that's the fear that overcomes us when we suddenly find ourselves in possession of considerably more energy than we are used to. Okay. 
and I feel like you're going to do a better job of explaining this because this might happen to me, but I don't recognize when it's happening, and I know it happens to you all the time. <laughs> so, so again, just to say what Todd is saying. Want there's... me to repeat it or no? No, I okay. think I think I, I'll do it. Um, pod is the reptilian kind of fear, fight or flight. The more typical, I'm afraid I'm going to run, or I'm afraid something's going to happen to me. Yura is the kind of fear where you start to feel who you are. Mm -hmm. You start to feel the bigness of who you are. You start to recognize your dreams and you start to have, I always tell Todd, and I know a lot of people can relate to this, I will have downloads of information about something I should do or something I, when I say should, I don't mean like go visit someone. I mean some big idea, like something to write about Mm -hmm. or something to talk to somebody about something or to, you know, create a, workshop or something. And I get this information. And the first feeling I get is this fear Mm -hmm. because it's big, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will feel that fear and then assume that that means it's too scary to do. Right. When really that fear is experiencing the fullness of who you are connecting to that holy place. Right. And what... Tara uh, Sophia Moore talks about is with Pahad, you have to question it and you have to really be like, am I really in, you know, yeah. am I, am I a reptile? No, I have a, I have a much bigger brain right. where I can decide if I'm really in, in, uh, what's the word? Not only, if I'm in danger, okay. if I'm really in danger with Yura, she's like, lean into that mm-hmm. and enjoy that feeling. Cause that's where you're on the brink of something great. Mm. You know, when you get the idea to, um, see you do experience it and you may not. Well, I can't, I'm about to say, I cannot relate to what you're saying because okay. when I, uh, whatever the feeling is, whether I'm in flow, when I feel like things are coming very easy to me, I feel like that might be what is being described here or when I feel a sense of grace. You how know. do you feel about selling the apartment buildings? I'm very glad. But how do you feel about when it when we first started discussing it, what was your feeling? Um, fear. Okay. Right. Now, this is instead of you getting a, a download of something new to do, you've known that it's been time to do something different. Mm-hmm. But you were unwilling to let go of right. kind. It's kind of like you holding on to a you know pole. No, I'm not going to let go. This is my belief system. Right. You've been being pulled in a different direction. I've been hanging on to that pole for a long You've time. You've been hanging on to that pole. So that was the fear. You knew something great could come, mm-hmm. but it's the the thing about Yura is it's unknown. Mm-hmm. You don't you know you're stepping into something that you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know you could put your arms around that pole and say, real estate's good. I've read enough books. I've you know gone to school for this. I know that I'm going to make money. And that's an old belief system. I'm not saying it's wrong, right. but you're beyond that. Mm-hmm. And that worked for you. Well, and I don't know when I, when we finally kind of decided that this is the direction we were going in as far as selling these. And for those of you who don't know, we manage some apartment buildings and we, I have finally decided that it's time for me to let them go, even though it was something I held on to saying that it was going to be something that we retired with and I was never going to sell them. And now I've kind of flip-flopped on that after eight years of owning these suckers. So, uh, but when it happened, I think I felt relief. I mean, I think. Well, when you finally stepped like, into the unknown, but right. every step before that, you were afraid. I'm afraid of what people will think about me. But I feel like that was the Pahad fear, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you what it was. All I know is that when I get some kind of information about something to do, mm-hmm. 
and it feels, oh, okay, yeah. do you so, see what I mean? So the struggle to when I was getting to that point, I was afraid to let go of whoever I thought I you was You were afraid to, be. to step into something bigger. Right. Because what you were thinking, you know, maybe there's a little pahad in there, mm-hmm. but you were afraid to let go of what you knew mm-hmm. to step into something that you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. What am I going to do with this time that gets created as a result of me no longer owning and, these buildings? And in, instead of being so literal, who am I going to be? I'm going to be somebody who is uh, different than who I thought I was supposed to be back then. And the thing is, is when you start to become that person, when you start to step into those unknown spaces that feel really good but scary, that's you filling up in yourself. That's becoming who you are. And through your life, there is no end to that. There's no like, okay, I stepped into it. I'm done. You're constantly feeling that pull towards something or, you know – I want to walk this way. I want to do this way. And it's scary. And a lot of times it doesn't work out the way your mind thinks it's going to, but it was still the direction you needed to go to, to get to something else. And that's the trust. That's faith. So what I'm going to do, um, not right away, but later on is I actually did a little research on fear online. And I think it's more relating to the paha, the the more normal fear that we're talking about. Um, But we'll get that uh, in a little bit. Do you think I'm afraid? I think you've been afraid all your life. What was it? I want. I, it sounded like Luke Skywalker and nope. Obi Wan, but it's not because I've never one, heard that quote one more before. Time. Please. Do you think I'm afraid? I think you've been afraid all your life. Oh gosh! You love I this know, movie. I know. I know the you voices. Used to watch it when we lived on Schubert all the time. Gladiator. Yeah, there you yes. go. Yes. Nice job, sweetie. Okay, isn't that funny that I used to watch Gladiator all the time? It's such a violent movie. But you don't you don't watch it for the violence. You watch it for those the, relationships. Yeah. That Joaquin character, Joaquin mm-hmm. Phoenix. What was his name in that movie? Twerpo. <laughs> Twerpo. That guy was a tool. And then Russell uh, Crowe, who actually ended up winning an Academy Award for that movie. Yeah. The Good flick. the the best part of that movie was the relationships and people's growth and people's oh such good so we're gonna do first i want you to talk about helping hands maid services and then i'm going to we're gonna run two clips one from you and one from me um okay here we go um helping hands maid services.com 630-530-1324 um life is too short to clean your own home you deserve free time amen um so anyway helping hands cleans our home they do a fantastic job and as todd always says it gives us back three hours of our life um and they actually do a much better job than i would so um give them a call let them know that um, you listen to zen parenting radio and you get 25 dollars off your first service do you want to set this up with this lady here okay so on friday or thursday of last week, I posted a, um, a video on my self-aware parent page. So it wasn't on Zen Parenting, it was on self-aware parent. And it was from, it's, it's, um, gosh, it's a type of poetry. I can't remember what it's called. Well, Slam poetry. Button poetry? Well, yeah, but there's there's a... Basically a woman standing in front of an audience and they're all kind of cheering her on. Exactly. It's kind of like what Dylan did. Yeah, Remember that from poetry a month from ago. a month or two ago that we played where someone kind of just says something really real and mm-hmm. raw mm-hmm. In, in a very... You know, they just speak their truth, basically. So this girl, she's in college and she did this this poetry reading. And what was so great about it is she kind of encapsulated everything or many things that women experience in regards to playing small in the world. It often 
ends up becoming a visual thing where women, well, not often, it does become a visual thing where women are so infatuated with their body and their weight and deprivation, but it's really about their own self-worth and being feeling that they can't take up space in the room, that they aren't worth or worthy of inhabiting who they are. So she just does a great job of explaining So it. we'll play a little bit. Give me a hand signal when you want me to stop. I will. Across from me at the kitchen table, my mother smiles over red wine that she drinks out of a measuring glass. She says she doesn't deprive herself, but I've learned to find nuance in every movement of her fork. In every crinkle in her brow as she offers me the uneaten pieces on her plate, I've realized she only eats dinner when I suggest it. I wonder what she does when I'm not there to do so. Maybe this is why my house feels bigger each time I return. As she shrinks, the space around her seems increasingly vast. She wanes while my father waxes. His stomach has grown round with wine, late nights, oysters, poetry, a new girlfriend who was overweight as a teenager, but my dad reports now she's crazy about fruit. It was the same with his parents. As my grandmother became frail and angular, her husband swelled to red, round cheeks, rotund stomach, and I wonder if my lineage is one of women shrinking, making space for the entrance of men into their lives, not knowing how to fill it back up once they leave. I have been taught accommodation. My brother never thinks before he speaks. I have been taught to filter. How can anyone have a relationship to food, he asks, laughing, as I eat the black bean soup I chose for its lack of carbs. I want to say we come from difference, Jonas. You have been taught to grow out. I have been taught to grow in. You learn from our father how to commit, how to produce, to roll each thought off your tongue with confidence. You used to lose your voice every other week from shouting so much. I learned to absorb. All right. I learned to absorb. So what's she talking about? Well, I mean, from my perspective, the way that I hear that is um, just the last part that she said, you know, talking about her father versus her mother and her brother versus her. Men are taught to expand, be big, be full, be loud, be, speak their Kind of like we're mind. talking about the soccer field. Exactly. Girls are taught to take to absorb to just you guys can't see me body language wise but just to go inside to not speak to be don't make waves don't make waves to to be humble to and then how that shows up physically is this issue we have with weight mm -hmm. and this is why when people are completely obsessed with the scale and with food and with diets and with weight loss it's not about the food mm -hmm. and i think most of us kind of know that now. I, I think that that's just the surface problem. And then it's about our own sense of not feeling good enough. Mm. And that's passed down. This isn't, this isn't something that, this is a societal issue. And that's, it's, and it's not like it's, um, um, verbal instructions mm -hmm. of bad parenting. It's like a feeling, or maybe it is, maybe it's verbal. It's a little of both. There are some parents that, well, I was just talking to some girlfriends this weekend, and one of my friends was saying that her dad actually said to her, if you are fat, she was like in fourth grade, if you are fat, you will not have friends mm. and you will not get a job mm. and life will be difficult wow. for you. So sometimes That's it's- instant baggage. Yeah. 
very literal, mm-hmm. and that is because of his own fear and his view of what woman a woman should be. Right. His own. It had nothing to do with her. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. I don't Hello. think that dad was doing a whole lot of self-understanding. And now let's go to the other part. Last week we talked about self-compassion versus criticism. Mm-hmm. We talked about how what really helps a child change is not giving them fear right. and criticizing them, but being compassionate and so they can develop compassion for themselves. And so what he was doing was putting fear on her to somehow think that he was going to make a change. But what he really did was cause her to have a lack of self-worth, constant fear, and a projection. Right. What the dad thought he was doing was protecting her and and making sure that she'll succeed in this world. When the effect of it, my guess is, is the exact opposite. Complete opposite. Yeah. And that that he created an inner dialogue for Mm -hmm. her about who she was and the fact that if she didn't look a certain way, she was not worthy. Right. And the thing is, is again, everyone always jumps on me about this. It's, but we've got to teach our kids to be healthy. Yes. Balance. But it's balance. And healthy is not about being skinny. Right. Not it, it, being having flat stomach is not healthy because we have accepted that as being normal and healthy when many people, I, I have never had a flat stomach, Todd. Mm. Let me just say that on this show. When I was 17, I was like 115 pounds. Mm-hmm. I've never had a flat stomach. Mm-hmm. And that is my body. Right. I, my body is built a, in a way that, you know, I value it now, right. but society doesn't value it. So did you struggle with that because your stomach wasn't flat as a 17-year-old girl? Because, and again, it wasn't even as bad then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like then, you know, there was that thing about, there was a little bit about that, about weight and about the way you looked. But you know what was great to wear when I was in high school and college? Baggy clothes. The grunge era. The grunge era. Baggy sweatshirts. Save big you girls. sweaters. Yeah, leggings. I mean, I didn't really worry about it. Girls these days, the things that they think they're supposed to wear mm-hmm. is exposing their entire body. Right. And so it's like a totally different world. But again... My point in saying that is that I now understand my body type is not supposed to be like everybody else, but society tells us different. Right. True that. Um, So I want to play a clip from Michael Jordan. Okay. And he's talking to a group about teaching your kids not to fear failure. Okay. Make it or miss. That's how simple it is. That's what you try to get to your kids. So they're not afraid of that simple act. When I took that shot, whatever shot it was, in my mind, first of all, I'm thinking I'm going to make it. Secondly, if I don't, okay, we can come back tomorrow, work hard, make, make sure that when I get in that situation, get them and make the shot. You know, but you don't put the end of the world on that one particular event. And kids sometimes have a tendency to do that. So you, you, as a parent, you have to simplify it as, as much as possible to show them that either way, I still love you if you missed that shot. You know, I still think you're still a great basketball player if you missed that shot. It's tougher for me than you because my, my oldest thinks he should be the next Michael Jordan <laughs> just by birthright, you know, and where I'm dealing with is very simple. Hey, man, just have a good time. Whatever happens, happens, you know. If you play basketball, great. If you don't, I'll be right there next to you, whatever you choose to do. Sound parenting advice. <gasps> That's like the best thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Did Where'd you find that? I'm good. I know that. I'm really aware. good. I well, what I think about that clip is when Ugh. I think most parents will say, of course, of course, I, my kid, um, 
my child knows that I will love him or her regardless whether or not he or she scores the goal or regardless whether or not he or she chooses to play basketball. But I think we as parents tend to uh, bring an energy. We, totally. we send mixed messages. Like we don't uh, say that out loud. I will love you regardless of whether or not you play basketball. Mm-hmm. I will love you whether or not you hit that free throw shot at the end of the game. And I think I think we get so invested and we get enmeshed with the successes mm-hmm. and failures of our children. And if our children don't play soccer, then who am I? What kind of parent totally. am I? If our children don't make that free throw shot, how will I be perceived? So instead you lay this pressure and I think a lot of the times it's unconscious pressure. I know. So we need to step because out. Because it's it's not about the kid. Right. It's, you're having an issue with yourself right. and you are imposing that on your child. Right. And so I, gosh, I so agree. And that parents will say, well, I told him I'd love him and it's no big deal. But your actions, your body language and your energy says something very different. Well, and that's interesting because I think hopefully the good parents out there will tell their kids they love them, but I don't think that that's enough. I think, um, and I don't, this might come out. I remember reading in a book one time with girls specifically, just telling them you love them is not enough. You need to tell them why you love them. And I think for boys, maybe it's a little bit less important. I don't know if that's true or not, but I remember reading that book and it's, it struck a chord in my brain. You need to tell tell your daughter why you love her, mm-hmm. that you love her because she tries. You love her because she fails instead of just that you love them because if you say that enough, it loses its value. completely. Like, okay, I know my dad loves me, but there's no significance to it. And as you and I have discussed, love is just a word. Right. And love is something that feels good. And if your real intention is behind it, but as we know, me as a social worker, I experienced a lot of people who would beat up their spouse Mm -hmm. and then tell them they love them afterwards. Right. Um, You know, you, or would abuse their child and say, I did that to you because I love you. Or people who experience a universe or a God in that way. Love, you know? love is a verb. Yes. Love is you. It's something that you, it's not saying it, it's it, to it's Todd's point, it. it's doing it. And if you are noticing your child being kind to their sibling and saying, I love the way that you take care, or that's actually, I don't even want to say that because take care sounds like Mm -hmm. it's their responsibility. I love the way that you love your little sister. Mm -hmm. I love the way that you help her when she needs support, you know, like really being, watching them and seeing them because what every person wants Mm -hmm. is to be seen and validated, normalized Mm -hmm. and you know, you're good to go. You're good to go. Mm-hmm. But if you're only if you're looking at them through your lens, where they need to do certain things, I actually have a story. This weekend, I saw a lot of different people because um, there was a there I, there was a play, and so you know, there's a lot of people around. Um, uh, and the, I've talked to a few people, and they were asking what our girls were doing. And I said, oh, you know, they do gymnastics or they do this or they do that. And they're like, are they competing? Are they on the team? I'm like, nope. And then I would say, oh, and then she's playing soccer. Is she on the team where they're competing? Mm-hmm. I'm like, nope, they're mm-hmm. just playing. And it was kind of a funny, like, in our society, 
it doesn't mean anything unless you're beating people. Yeah, unless and there's competition. Unless there's this, and of course they're competing. They're playing against other people, or they are learning new skills. Well, but, there's levels to it. Like there's uh, AYSO Extra. Right, that's probably where you're going, and just regular AYSO. And AYSO Extra is the soccer where it's more competitive. The right. girls are a little bit better ability. And somehow to some parents that is more significant than the kids who just go to have, they, they play to have fun. I mean, they're competing, but it's not as competitive. It's just not as intense. Yeah. Like when they're in it playing, it's just as intense, but the, the whole idea around it is it's not. And that's not to say that if our daughters wanted to do that, that sure. we would support them, but we're not going to thrust that upon them because it makes us feel better. And the reason I bring that up is because there is a societal there is a parental, mm-hmm. there is a this like unspoken need to have our children in something right. and have them be the best at it. Yeah. There is, and a lot of that is us trying to live our dreams through them. Yeah. We feel good and valuable if our children are somehow, um, you know, excelling. Right. Where really the job of a parent, you know, and, and, and again, there's no way I can summarize it in one sentence, but I'll do my best Mm -hmm. is to help your child become who they are. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they need to be Mm -hmm. the top at this or be that it's about being who they are. Well, it's such a slippery slope because, um, if you start pushing when they're in kindergarten to be at first grade level reading, it seems very inconsequential. But right. really what you're doing is that's going to be something that you have to feed until they graduate from college. And then after they graduate from college. And Why aren't you married yet? Yeah. Do you have kids? So What about your job? So, yeah. of course, we play the homework game and sure. we play the school game. Of course. But we do not um, put upon their value based on whether or not they're in first grade reading versus kindergarten reading or third grade reading versus second grade reading. And... It, in the beginning with JC, like I remember doing J- flashcards with JC when she was three or four years old yeah. because I wanted her to be familiar with the letters and the words and there's nothing wrong with that. But my intention was to make sure she gets ahead when she starts kindergarten. Right. And I, thankfully with your help, I kind of let that go mm-hmm. and we do, we work on homework. We do all that stuff, but it's, it, it, it the intention is, comes from a different place now. And you know, sometimes, sometimes what's helpful is if we look at the end, what do we really, cause again, as we've discussed on the show, if I were to ask a group of parents, what do you really want for your child? I want them to be happy. Mm-hmm. If that's true, what mm-hmm. does being happy mean? What does being content mean? It means liking yourself. It means feeling like you have the tools to handle things. It means doing what you love. It means having the freedom to expand and fill up space. That's your definition. I think a lot of parents' definition is I want to do, want them to be successful but, and that will lead to happiness. And But what is the definition? Successful to me is, is to feel good. <laughs> I know, but success to mo- many others is to be financially stable, to be educated, to to the highest degree that they possibly can. That is their definition of success. And I hear that. And But I also think that all those things that I'm saying about being contented, being who you are, you know, moving with your heart, if you do that, you will in turn be, right. have a good job, right. be financially stable because you will not be self-loathing. Mm-hmm. You will not do things to hurt yourself. You will not blame other people for your issues. You will not sit around playing video games because you like who you are. I want these daughters to love their job. 
Yes. And if they love their job, they're going to be successful that's, at it. That's what I'm trying to say. And if they're successful at it, then they'll probably get paid pretty well at it too. But that's you, right. you're starting with that foundation instead of the money foundation. That's right. You're not starting with you need to have a job that pays you go toward that job because those jobs aren't even going to exist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, one of my favorite books is Daniel Pink's book, Why Right Brainers Are Going to Rule the World. And I don't even know if that's the, the exact title. but and, and I'm a left brainer, so I'm in trouble. You've got some right brain though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you we all do. We all have both because I obviously have some left brain, but right braining is basically being creative and thinking out of the box and living from your heart and and allowing those downloads to come in and and moving with your uh, mm-hmm. you know all those things. That's what being because the the jobs that were just like you know do this right you know input this you know here's you know accounting finance those kind of things are going to be computerized mm-hmm. and we've got to move into a world where we're creativity thinking, is going to exactly. be the key. Will you um you know who I love. I love you. Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. Yes, I love Tree of Life as well. Who are who Tree are of Life these is folks? our um, one of our partners, Dr. Kelly. Um, you can find them at chirotree.com, 630-941-8733. Healthy families by choice, not by chance. And if you mention Zen Parenting Radio, you get a complete uh, initial chiropractic exam, x-rays, and report from Dr. Kelly for only $27. And um, we've been going to forever. She's wonderful with children. It's like a whole family wellness community. There you go. I'm not afraid. All right. Thank you, Yoda. That was Yoda's scary moment. So I did a little research online and I think I'm more speaking to the, this is like um, a list of things that you can do to overcome fear. Okay. Okay. Um, And I think it's more of the pahad fear, but maybe not. So uh, four steps and each one has a little subcategory and tell me what you think about these things. Analyze your fear. And by analyze, I mean you have to acknowledge it. You could give it a name, write it down. Totally. Do you think that has value? Absolutely. Why? Don't don't push it away. Well, if we repress fear, if we don't look at it, then it becomes something else. Mm -hmm. Then we're acting on something that is unconscious and it will hurt us physically, mentally, everything. So letter B, within the analyze your fear category, define its contours. Where does it begin? Mm -hmm. Where did it begin? What triggers it? How does it Mm -hmm. affect you? What power does it have? Um, so what do you I think about that. that? Well, it's interesting cause I was, uh, I'm not going to go into it, but I was dealing with a fear this morning while I was exercising. Like I just was kind of having a pod fear and I had to trace it back in my head. Like, why do I think this? Where did this come from? And I was able to acknowledge that it came somewhere from my childhood and that it's not true. And therefore the fear is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying it's all gone. It wasn't like, Oh, clean up, but it was, yeah, it was interesting. Um, so step one was analyze your fear. Step two is take control of your fear. And by that, I mean baby steps. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you can't just face it right, you know, what, whatever it is. Say it's a, a fear of commitment, mm. you know. Which, yeah, that's going to take time. Um, you can't, you know, all of a sudden decide that you're going to get married in three months. I had a little of that. I did have had a <laughs> lot of that. So maybe you set a goal of maybe I'll plan to have three dates this year or yes. whatever it is, yes. you know, just kind of baby step Ease your way. Ease your way in. Uh, deliberately encounter it. You might realize it's not as bad as you thought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are just some ideas of what people get afraid of, fear of commitment. Uh, some of it's more normal, like speaking in front of groups or snakes or spiders, you know, or, you know, that's all, you know, actual things. I'm, I, I think people might get more out of it by thinking of the internal Steps worry, in life, fear. right? The, the things in life that we fear. And you know what? I was just, I just loved that Michael Jordan thing that you played about, you know, when you're going for the shot, you're either going to hit it or you're going to miss. And if you break it down to that mm-hmm. and that that's it yeah. and that when you miss, 
that there are still people who love you and see you and know that you're still a good basketball player. I was just talking to one of our daughters about that because she was afraid to do something, and I did not have that beautiful language, which I'm now going to use with her. But I was trying to say, don't you see it really doesn't matter that what matters is walking through the fear. Mm. That's where you're going to feel alive. I don't care what the end result is, but walking through it is where you are going to feel alive. And and right now, she can't fully hear that. She's Mm got to have some life experience to know that. But I'm going to keep I'm going to use his language. So um, I'm still in the take control of your fear step. It says, ride the wave. If you're doing something, keep the momentum going. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. And then I put this one in bold because I think you'd like it. Don't let others hold you back. Amen. What do you think about that? Well. I think that happens a lot. I do. I think friends, loved ones, friends, family, you'll say, oh, I'm going to go do this. And it kind of freaks them out yeah. because they think they'll say, oh, you can't do that. And this is why, or that's so hard. How are you going to manage that? And I think it's because, uh, there's this fear that we have that our friend or loved one might, might overcome their fear. And then who am I if they do it? We, we get uncomfortable when other people shine because Mm -hmm. it's reflection to us of, can we shine too? And even though every single person has the ability to shine when someone else is shining, and we aren't really there yet in our own ability to step forward, we get kind of pissed, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like they make me uncomfortable. Not only have I experienced this personally, um, I have been that way toward people where someone's doing something and I'm like, what, you know, the, who do they think they are thing? Mm -hmm. That's just, that's got nothing to do with them. That's me being insecure. And, um, so whenever that comes up in me, Mm -hmm. I really am like, okay, Kathy, you're just, you know, it's a good reflection. So step one was analyze your fear. Step two is take control of your fear. Step three is change the way you think about fear. And what I mean by that is make it a source of fascination. Learn from it. Ask why it holds so much power. See it as an opportunity. And then I put this in bold. Who would you be if you didn't have this fear? Mm, So that's more like a visualization. Like if I wasn't uh, afraid of water, I would be able to go swim in a lake Mm. or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like kind of think about or if I wasn't worried about money, I would be able to walk around without the sense of this weight on, on my back. Shoulders. On you my would have shoulders. a different life. Right. Um, how much time do we have? Cause I have like a one minute story, but Go I ahead. don't know if you're no, rushing. We're good. We're good. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I was reading about a woman, uh, she's a researcher named Kelly McGonigal and she does a lot of research about how people have the ability to sit in discomfort more than they think they do. That what we really spend most of our time doing, and this is like what Louis C.K. said on a show way back when, when he was talking about how we're so uncomfortable with our feelings that we go to texting somebody, how we can't sit in that emotion. We work so hard to stay away from that initial emotion that we never get to the relief of it and Mm -hmm. the high of really recognizing that it's not the truth. And she was talking about how she had, um, I saw her speak and she, was, she had a woman come up on stage and she said, now say to yourself, I can't walk. I can't walk and just say it out loud. And the woman said that. And she goes, now walk around in a circle. Mm-hmm. The woman was saying, I can't walk. I can't walk. And she was walking around a circle. And she said, my point here is we can say things to ourselves about being unable to do things or having fear, but we can still do it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just, it was a good visual for you may have a voice in your head that says you're not good enough. So just because your voice is telling you that doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that you true, can't do it. Right. That you can walk through that mm-hmm. and that you can, when you get that voice from society about, you know, you're not good enough. Who are you? Or you get friends saying, why would you do that? Or I don't know if you really are good enough to do that or whatever they say, 
you can still walk through. Right. And you, like Michael Jordan said, you may miss, right. but at least you're alive. Right. You're you're making attempts to, well, and you're putting yourself out. You're there. putting your, and like Brene Brown says, you know, you're being a person in the arena. Mm-hmm. You're throwing yourself into the arena and saying, you guys can all criticize me, but at least I'm trying to make the world a better place. Or which is this is synonymous. I'm trying to make myself a better person right. because if I do that, then the world becomes a better place. And we perceive the arena as if we're outside of it, then it's a safer place. But really, the safe the 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 danger is being outside the arena because totally. then you never live your life. That's right. And a lot of times we are living outside of the arena, pointing at ourselves. Right. We are criticizing ourselves, and really, the voices we're hearing in our head are not other people; they're us. Well, and this podcast is a good example of that like when we first started, I don't know how you felt about it, but I'm like, I don't know, what do I have to offer? Right. And then I kind of like, well, screw it, man. Let's just try it and see what happens. So that's right. Um, so uh, step one: analyze your fears. Step two: take control of your, of your fears. Step three: change the way you think about fear. Finally, step four: give fear a place in your life. Let yourself be afraid. Yeah. It's kind of what you were just talking Mm -hmm. about. It's an emotion, just like joy or sadness. Go easy on yourself. And then if you actually do some conquering of your fears, celebrate your victories. And the thing is, is that we need fear. That's the thing is one of my biggest teachings. um, And it's too long of a story, but like five years ago, I recognized and embraced the idea of fear, that I always thought I shouldn't be fearful, that something was wrong with me, that if fear came up, I needed to fight it. And the day that I recognized that fear was actually my friend Mm -hmm. and that when it came up, it was trying to heal something or tell me something. All of a sudden, when it comes up now, it doesn't cause, I mean, I'm not saying I don't, I'm not saying, oh, I love it, Mm -hmm. but I'm saying just kind of like you said, be curious about it. It gives me a different viewpoint. And again, the most important thing is, is if it's something heavy, because I've had some heavy fear things come down to me where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really weighing me down, is something's trying to heal. Something is trying to come through and, you know, and again, I'm getting kind of deep here, but this, you know, you're getting deep. (laughs) Something is trying to speak to me. Mm -hmm. And if I can listen and look at it rather than push it away, then it's freedom. What about the fear of dying, sweetie? It's the most human fear there is. I'd like to live to ripe old age with Yoko only. And I'm not afraid of dying. I don't know how I'd feel at the moment, but I'm prepared for death because I don't believe in it. I think it's just getting out of one car and getting into another. (laughs) That's right, John. Thank you, John. And, you know, that's the thing is here's someone like John Lennon who pushed so many boundaries and was so ridiculed. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now we reflect on it as a whole. Oh, he was known as a kook to many. And he was speaking all of these things so early. And the reason he can say that statement with authenticity is he was living his truth. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing that, what's there to be afraid of? Mm-hmm. You, you're The reason I think people are a lot afraid of dying is they haven't lived yet. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not living. Right. So they like Take feel, chances. They're, yeah. They're, so they're like, wait, I don't have enough time. Right. Do it now. What was that quote? It was something about... Uh, some people like in hospice or some people or uh, like a, somebody yes. was in a doctor's office and they're like, um, and they have some terminal disease and they're going to die in like the three, five regrets three. Well, it wasn't that it oh, was like, oh. it, like you're going to die in three months. He's like, I, I just need, I just need one more year to do what I'm doing. And you know, this person was like 70. He's like, I don't know if he's talking to God. He's like, I've given you 70 years. Right. What's six months going to do right. for you? Why do you all of a sudden now need six months to live when I've given you all? And again, it, it was a met, it was a metaphorical conversation yeah. with God, but that was from the untethered soul. Oh, is that what yeah. it is? That he was saying, you know, why do you now? And that's the thing is what a joy it is 
what I what I, what I experience a lot when I'm in the shower in the morning is I have that initial morning fear mm-hmm. that I've always had since I was a little kid. Like, what's today going to bring? And this kind of fear comes in, and then there's this kind of easing into it that. I get to do what I enjoy today and I am going to live to the fullest because this may be, it's not about I'm afraid I'm going to die tomorrow. It's this is it right now. I'm in it. Power of now. Actually, Cameron and I had a conversation about this last night and I'm going to write about it so I don't need to say too much, but her language around mindfulness and about being here and that this is really all that's real. Therefore, we don't have to worry. We get to enjoy it. It was so great. Mm. Eight-year-olds have a better way to conceptualize mindfulness than we do. Especially that eight-year-old. I know. I call her Ferdinand. <laughs> She's deep. Ferdinand the bull. That's right. Um, so real quick, do you want to go for a question of the week? What do you mean? I'm going to give you a question. I want you to answer it. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Does anyone have experience with, maybe we talked about this. Does anybody have experience with talking to another parent about their anger, abusive behavior? Yeah, we talked their, about this. Did we this exact yes, question? this exact question. All right. Well, then you're off the hook for okay, this week. Good. Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. What is your tournament okay. about? I'm totally calling you and oh. two of my guy friend, my best guy friends oh. out. You ready? Sure. This is the experience from yesterday. Yeah. So yesterday I was with two or some of my best friends from high school and Todd and I were there. And one of my guy friends is actually doing yoga. Mm-hmm. And I brought up the fact that he's doing yoga. And I've known that for years because he told me. Right. And I brought it up in front of everybody. Right. And I said, are you still you know, doing yoga? Are you still enjoying it? And I didn't. I wasn't trying to call him out. It just was a normal thing to me. Right. And he's like, yeah, I'm still doing it. And the other guys, my other friends, including you, were like, you do yoga? And he's like, yeah, I do, you know, and he's kind of a tough guy. So he was like, I do. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh. And they're like, can you touch your toes Mm -hmm. or, you know, kind of making fun of him? And he's like, no, I just really like it. I sweat or whatever. And then someone was I don't know if it was you. You're actually I am not guilty of anything. I was eating cheesy dip at the time. Someone then said, well, in the class, do you stand in the back because you get a pretty good view? I did not say that. And then he's, and then my guy friend said, yeah, I totally do. And I go, you guys, can he just do yoga without you having to make it like a man thing that he's looking at people's butts? Can't he just do yoga? And, And again, everybody laughed, but it was such a these are, it's it's safer to say that I do yoga because so I, can I look, look at girls' butts. Now, what I did say was, if you're going to do yoga, you might as well sit in the back <laughs> so you do get a good view of the girls' butts. I don't do yoga because of that. It's just like uh, sugar on top. Well, I just thought it was the prime example of what we talk about in the show that can't he just do yoga and we say, oh, you enjoy it? Okay, that sounds good. But it had to become this masculine there had to be a, another reason. And then once everyone felt comfortable with that, he was looking at girls' butts, everyone could let it go. Mm-hmm. But until then, it made them very uncomfortable. Well, Did you notice that? I, Like I said, I was eating cheesy dip. Okay. I walked over after. Okay. Well, it made me laugh. And again, these are people I love. These are some of my best friends. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I had to call them out because I was like, dudes. The cheesy dip was delicious, by the I way. It was. I agree. So um, we have to slowly close the show out. Okay. We, we did that interview with Heather Criswell last Friday. If Conversations you didn't listen to it. with people we love. And we've got a whole really sweet lineup coming up. And our next show is on that is going to be a week from Friday. I don't know the date, but it's going to be twice a month. Who so. is our next guest? We haven't decided yet. Oh, good. Because we we've already interviewed a ton of people. Yeah. So we're just kind of, you know, putting them in. we got to make that decision sometime soon. Okay. Um, and then as far as... As uh, what we are promoting, sweetie, and we got a new website coming out. Yes, we have our Zen Parenting Radio. It's not Kevin ready yet, Adams though, so don't don't look for it. 
No, but it's wonderful and it's easy to follow and it's clean and nice and we're excited about it. Um, and then let's see. I think that's about it. Oh, give us a comment on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. It create gains uh, exposure, all that. And then just, you know, be cool. Share, then, share our show. About fear this week, just think about whether you're experiencing Pahad or Yurah, and we will post on our webpage and on the show notes yeah. um, so you can find a link to these Send things. slash 146. Yeah. All right, so have a great week. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.